We have reached a milestone. It's episode 60 of Honestly Unbalanced. Maybe it's not a milestone. Maybe it's just a nice round number. Anyway, we continue our conversations with people who've spent their lives trying to make yours a little bit better. And that person this week is Lauren Arms, who's the founder and CEO of Well2Do, which is a global industry platform for the wellness industry. She's also a leading business coach for people in that sector, many of which you might have heard of, like Chloe Brotheridge, who was our guest recently, Dr. Hazel Wallace, Adrian Herbert, and many more. Lauren also hosts the Business of Wellness podcast, and not only is she a coach, but she also features as an industry expert on the BBC series The Apprentice, as well as appearing in The Times, Evening Standard, Cosmopolitan, Grazia, and all over. In our conversation, we chat about the theatre of building an expert brand, the balance between contentment and yearning for more, the challenges of building a successful business and thoughts on having a 10-year plan. We chat about how success isn't necessarily synonymous with having no problems and the importance of strategy and mindset work combined and the energy of money. So lots of good topics. We actually got a lot from this. It was like a little coaching call for ourselves. I'm sure you guys will too. Enjoy. Before you listen, we put a lot of work into making this podcast happen. So please do share it. Give us some love. Tell your mates listen to old episodes that perhaps you haven't listened to, like, rate, do all those things. Do all those things for us to be massively appreciated. And as a little gift back to you, of course we get a little bit of commission too, uh, you can get 10% off life form mats, which are undoubtedly the best mats in the world, uh, with code HUSTLER. And you can get around 37% off everything on the MyProtein website with code the hustlers i say 37 percent off because it kind of changes sometimes they have big sales and this code normally and pretty much always beats the sale so sometimes you get more than 37 percent off anyway enjoy the episode and you've got lots of pink and green which is kind of the color of our house Mm. so great mind think alike and i just thought like what's your approach to design like i know as part of well to do you have kind of a design content creation element to it so is it you is that passion of yours or is that something you've kind of delegated that's so funny that you ask that because i i branding for us has always been a little bit thrown together (laughs) it's never quite been and this is probably going to be a theme that comes up more seriously later but like i just have ridiculous expectations and standards for everything and nothing ever kind of hit like hits that and so even when you say that with my branding like that wouldn't be something that i would think someone would be interested in about my brand or the well-to-do brand but I have outsourced a little bit of it and I also just I do like things to look nice I think aesthetics is important when it comes to building connection with people Mm -hmm. makes you feel good and make you know colors and you know fonts and things do definitely make people feel a certain way Mm. and people don't realize how much there is in fonts do they? Yeah. Like, you love a font, don't you? I, I'm quite into fonts. I'm what a loser. But quite into, into fonts. But people <laughs> often really underappreciate the power of just a good professional looking website. You know, yeah. I've been on lots of people's pages and they've got, you know, a fairly good social media. But then when you convert, you know, you go on their website, things are out of date, links don't work, spelling mistakes. Oh, like, that bugs me. Like mm. pictures that have been uploaded in really low quality not coherent across the different channels so what how do you when you work with people what are your what's your approach to them straight away 
in terms of creating, I guess, their visual identity? I guess I, so I work with experts primarily and I talk about the sort of theatre of building an expert brand. <laughs> so there are so many components to that. But if you think about your senses and really think about how somebody experiences you, it's not just about what you know, it's about the language that you use and, you know, the, again, yeah, the colors and the fonts and the mood that you create with photography or yeah, the message that you share. So the theater of you is what also makes you memorable. And there are some things that people say and the way they say them are memorable and you'd know them before you even saw them. Hmm. And so I do talk a lot about that with my clients, the sort of theater of you and that you can have a lot of fun with that and be quite playful. Mm. And also that it can evolve. You know, I often say it's not, it's not your message, your brand. None of that is a tattoo. It doesn't have mm. to be set in stone. It doesn't have to be forever. And it also doesn't have to be perfect. You so often tell your clients the things that you need to hear as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's about kind of having fun with it and thinking about how it makes people feel when they see you and hear you, but also how they remember you when you're not there. Mm. You said about having you have high expectations for everything. So are you ever satisfied or do you ever do you always feel like you're constantly needing to improve? <sighs> if I'm honest, Holly, I always feel like I need to improve. It's something I ironically need to work on. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's just embedded in my personality that I just always want to be better. And I'm, you know, I'm an, a voracious learner. I love, like, I love learning new things. I love reading. I love finding out more about things. I think there's endless potential for expanded knowledge and that only benefit like the, the 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 kind of mission for me around the work I do or like why I do what I do is because I love learning and then I love teaching it mm -hmm. so it's part of my job to learn more but it's also I guess ingrained in me to always see the potential to be better to have more to do more to you know and that I guess that manifests in lots of different ways um, it can manifest in a sort of negative way sometimes of, you know, beating myself up and not, not being content with where I am and who I am and what I have. And I guess it's about finding that balance, isn't it? Of finding contentment in where you are right now, but also yearning for more. Yeah. And yeah. I guess it's an interesting paradox. Yeah. That's um, Santosha in yoga, isn't it? It's knowing that there's always inner contentment and joy and not using your external goals for happiness as in once you get there, I'm going to be happy. It's knowing that you already have that contentment inside, but then wanting more is just a natural part of being a human, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. It's, it's really hard for anyone to really identify, I think, what skills they need to improve in. Uh, that's, a that's a skill in itself to work at where you need to improve. Like we had one pod podcast guest who has a podcast himself called Modern Wisdom and it's millions of listeners. And he was doing the most obscure courses, but it all made sense. So he was doing a stand-up <laughs> comedy course 
not because he had any desire to be a comedian, but he just thought that would really add value if he could just be a little bit funnier <laughs> at times and a little bit more spontaneous in what he said. And he was going through all these various courses that he did and it all made sense. But that number one, it can be a problem for people working out what they need to do. And there can also be, arrogance is a wrong word, but perhaps an overconfidence. There's so many studies that suggest that I think something like 80% of people or 85% of people, something obscene, think that they're in the top 50% in terms of intelligence, for instance. Really? Yeah, no, it's crazy. Yeah, and that, and the same applies to attractiveness and alike. Uh, so it's, it's hard in many senses, both the arrogance and knowing what skill. So how do you, I guess, how would you work out what either you or your, the people you work with need to develop? What is a process? Well, oh, that's such a good question. Um, I'm kind of building this model at the moment for how I help people to grow their expert business. And I'm trying to mesh this idea that there's a strategy for everything, but there are always multiple strategies and approaches. Mm. And it's important to have a strategy, but it's also important to feel aligned with that strategy or approach. So it's the yin and the yang of business, I guess, like the masculine and the feminine. And I'm more towards the masculine but i feel really passionate that that feminine energy is really important too that it feels good so i i never say to my clients like here's a playbook for how you should build a successful business like here's the thing that you should do or you know here's the skill that you should develop it's more here are some options that could be cool for you to consider that could definitely work for you because they've probably worked for somebody else. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit like when someone says like, oh, should I launch a podcast? And it's like, well, do you want to launch a podcast? Like, do (laughs) you like, Mm -hmm. do you like having conversations with people? Are you comfortable on camera? Do you have the time to invest in it? Are you motivated to not just do 10 episodes and then fall off the face of the earth? Because it's something like, I heard some crazy statistic that like, 97% 97% of podcasts never get past 10 episodes. <gasps> really? and, I, and I think it's 1% make it past, uh, make it past, I think, another number. Uh, maybe it's 100 or something. Oh my yeah. gosh. Tiny percentage, yeah. yeah. Wow. Right. So actually, it's about, yeah, deciding what you want to invest your time in that feels good for you mm. and then being consistent with it. So I guess kind of going back to your question, yeah, I... <laughs> Um, I've been learning loads about human design Mm. and for me, part of my human design is this energy of experimentation. So when I've kind of invested time in something and it's ended up feeling like a waste of time, what I'm learning is actually it never was. So even if I did a course and it, you know, it didn't feel useful or actually it wasn't what I expected or I launched a product or, you know, whatever it might have been and it didn't work out i i now recognize that actually it was all part of the journey it was really important for me to experiment and to embrace kind of trial and a trial and error approach to get where i am right now and i guess with that in mind i'd probably share the same approach with with my clients like what's the worst that could happen you know, you figure out that it wasn't for you or that it wasn't that useful mm. or that it wasn't the best use of time. But it's it's all about kind of having fun and enjoying the process and then figuring out why, what the learning was from it. And how did you decide 
to even get down this path of helping experts? It's not your initial background, was that you saw a gap in the market many years ago, 2014 or so. Yeah. And then how did, so how did you decide to, to help people in this sense? Um, well, yeah, it has kind of been like connecting the dots, like that Steve Jobs thing. You look back and you think, mm -hmm. oh, okay, that's how, yeah. how we got here. Um, for me, it all started with just wanting to start a business. Like I was in a corporate job and felt dissatisfied, very cliche story, you know, wanted to get out of the nine to five grind, have a little bit more power um, and control in my future. And I also looked at my company director and I was like, I don't want to be you in 10 or 15 years. <laughs> and so this sort of thinking of, okay, well, what would it look like if I could run my own show, you know, be the boss, whatever mm -hmm. that's, you know, that I guess that was the thinking behind it. Um, what would it look like if I started my own business? And yeah, with that came um, this research and internal dialogue about what, what am I passionate about? And and I started just interviewing people who were doing things that were interesting to me. And the theme of wellness started to kind of shine through. Um, so the people that I were talking to were kind of opening cool yoga studios in London or, <clears throat> you know, launching the first cold pressed juice bar and, you know, or, or creating a product that had well-being at the heart of it, maybe a healthy snack food or whatever. And, um, and I thought, well, if I talk to enough people, I'll eventually find my idea. I'll eventually be inspired enough to, to start my own thing. And actually that just, that path just continued. I just kept talking to people. And then I was like, well, I should document this. And so I launched well to do as a blog and, and that's all it really was at the time. I had no idea of the business model behind it. But we experimented and, you know, played with different ideas. And I looked at what other people were doing and took lessons from them and modeled on other successful businesses. And yeah, over the years, uh, I guess it has just developed. It's developed into, you know, an event business, which when you run events, you meet people and connect with people and you start to find out what their problems and challenges are. And there was a certain type of person that I really loved speaking to at well-to-do events. And that was the person who had all this knowledge and wisdom and passion to share and couldn't quite figure out how to turn that into a business. And I guess, cause in some ways that was how I felt as well. And it was this sort of shared challenge of how do I make money just doing something that I feel really good about and helping people. Um, and I had studied business and marketing and I knew all the nuts and bolts of how to build a successful business. And it just came really naturally to me to help people with that. And again, like it wasn't in a business context to begin with. Initially, it was just meeting for coffee and having a chat and sharing ideas. And I suppose eventually I realized that coffee wasn't going to pay my bills. So <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, you know, put a price on it and eventually became the coaching part of our business, which is what I now spend most of my time doing and feel really passionate about. There's one thing you mentioned there and you mentioned this idea that you didn't want to be your boss at the time. You didn't want that life. And I know so many people who are in jobs like that. You know, I've, I, I trained as a, well, was going to train as a lawyer. I did a law degree. You know, my friends would say, oh yeah, my, my boss had a heart attack. Well, my boss is working all these hours under the sun and never seeing his children. 
isn't that bad but yet they stay in that career so mm. i understand the you know this push factor that does make people want to leave but then sometimes people are promised perhaps if you leave the job suddenly without any resistance you can just start a new career perhaps in wellness or alike and i noticed on your website you said the people you want to work with are people that are really committed and willing to put the work in do you think sometimes there is in any way kind of a naivety perhaps drawn by some elements of the kind of courses you see out there where you know generate a six-figure income in one month by joining this course or like 60 seconds yeah there is a naivety about people thinking okay oh god i'd need to leave this career i've been persuaded to i'm just going to fall into a new successful career as a yoga teacher or business owner or like there is it's a hard balance there isn't there mm. yeah and look i think it's because sometimes you listen to success stories and if I'm honest, if I'm talking about how I got to where I am, it's so easy to gloss over the messy stuff. Cause like really who wants to reflect on the moments where like you ran out of money or you cried, you know, daily for, for a month because you couldn't figure out how to make it work. And so if you're looking for inspiration and motivation to leave your job and you hear someone talk about how, you know, they built a successful business in 20 minutes, um, cause they've glossed over the, the challenging parts. Mm. Um, maybe there is a naivety, but I've interviewed lots and lots and lots and lots of successful entrepreneurs over the years. And most of them, well, a lot of them actually attribute their success to their naivety. Oh, really? They sort of say like, if I'd known how hard it was going to be, I may not have done it. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. the first person that springs to mind is the guy who founded Ella's kitchen. Mm-hmm. And which is that like ba- those ba- toddler um, food pouches, organic food pouches. And, uh, you know, he sold his ho- his family home. He had two young kids, one young kid at the time who was Ella. He named the business after they sold their family home, like moved in with the in-laws or something because he wow. was so determined to start the business, oh like put everything on the line. And it wasn't an immediate success. It took like years of hustle and hard work and grit. And and then he sold it for like whatever, multi hundreds of millions of pounds, whatever it was. Um, and so, wow, like an amazing outcome and so worth it for him. He built this incredible business. But he, you know, he sort of said to me, if I'd known how hard it was going to be and the toll it would kind of take on me, maybe you know maybe i wouldn't have done it so entrepreneurship is hard like mm-hmm. it's hard. it's it takes commitment and it takes getting comfortable with failure and just getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and two things you know firstly some people might not be cut out for that mm-hmm. but i would always say at least give it a go cuz you wouldn't want to die knowing that you didn't try mm. um and you know secondly maybe that naivety is sometimes a good thing. Um, there are different ways of doing it. Like I quit my job with total reckless abandon. I had no savings <laughs> and nothing to back, like no real business plan either. But that doesn't mean that's the, the approach that everyone should take. Um, we sometimes teach in our careers course, this idea of a, a kind of portfolio career or like a bridging job, for example, where, okay, let's say you want to become a, a, a yoga teacher and you're stuck in a busy corporate job that doesn't afford you any time, is there some kind of part-time bridging job that you could take to to help you make those 
take those first steps and make that initial foundation, um, get that initial foundational piece established. Um, so there's lots of ways of doing it. I guess it depends on your appetite for risk and how well you function under pressure. Mm. <laughs> what would you say, if you don't mind sharing, some of your greatest challenges have been through creating your business? Oh, golly, there have been so many. Um, I think that you're always your own worst enemy. So it's been mainly the, the kind of inner journey of building your confidence, building um, a sense of, you know, trust in your ability to make good decisions along the way and you've got to make some wrong decisions and um, mess up along the way too. And I've done plenty of that. Um, I think initially, again, in retrospect and the benefit of hindsight is is wonderful. Um, I started my business with too much of a a business brain so i was looking for like gaps in the market and i wanted to do things that other people hadn't done before and i wanted to kind of build something quite successful quite quickly mm -hmm. and some of that was to the detriment of me actually feeling really aligned and excited about what we were doing it was sort of, again, maybe that more masculine approach to business, like what's going to make us money, what's going to enable me to have a team and an office and tick all those boxes of like what appears to be a successful business. And yeah, like we achieved those things. But I think more recently, and I think it's really shifted since um, my husband and I had our little boy. And by the way, for your listeners, um, Jamie left his corporate job two, three, three years ago to work with me in the business. So mm. we now work together as well. And I think that's changed things because now we think of our business as less about what should we do to make it a successful business in inverted commas uh, in the minds of somebody else mm -hmm. and more how does our business enable us to create the life that we want to live mm. and give us the freedom that we want to have. and enable us to work the hours that we want to work and not every hour under the sun in order to, again, be a certain type of successful business. That's such a powerful exercise, I think, that everyone should kind of embark on, like working out. You know, if you like, not a 10 year plan, but what does your life look like in 10 years? If nothing got in the way, if there were no, if you would, if you were guaranteed success in everything you did, what would your life look like? What would you be wearing? What dogs would you have? <laughs> would you have children? <laughs> what would your house look like? All those things. And how would you be spending your time? And that that framing, I think, can really change what you aspire to have. Because I think a lot of people think we just see, as you say, money and external validation of what society mm. labels success. But a lot of what like, we enjoy now is walks. Like, I, I want to live mm. a life where I totally. go on more- And outside is free. More walks, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. The best things are free, aren't they? Yeah. Mm. That can be really, yeah. I'd love to know actually, because you talk about how you're more in your masculine energy rather than the feminine. So was there a point that you realised the importance of the feminine in business and how do you um, implement that in what you do now? And do you find it hard? Yeah. Uh, I made friends with people who were really <laughs> strong in that space. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as an example, I know you guys know Phoebe. Oh, Greenacre. I love Phoebe. She's a, yeah. yeah. She, she only has wonderful things to say about you, Holly. Oh. Um, 
She fucking hates me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's great. (laughs) Um, She she's like a person that helps me with that side because she is, you know, the queen of self-care, whereas Mm. I'm like, I'll work through my lunch break because I've got to get a task done and I'll realize I'm hungry, you know, a few hours later when I've got a raging headache. Um, Whereas Phoebe's like self-care first and then everything else afterwards. And so I just, yeah, I've connected with people who are, I guess I decided about, you know, five or six years ago, probably when I moved to London, that I was going to make friends with people who were able to kind of teach me things and, you know, weren't the same as me, um, would maybe challenge me in different ways who I naturally might not have gravitated towards because of commonalities, but actually have learned a lot from because of our differences. So that's probably one approach. Um, I think I would always say, you know, coaching and mentorship. So I have had so many different kind of coaches and mentors and made different types of investments in myself to, yeah, to, to, I guess, gather those skills that we were talking about before. One of which is, you know, how do I perhaps be more in the feminine and think more about the mindset of success Mm -hmm. and, to your point earlier, Adam, I think it is good to have, yeah, like that 10 year vision and to know all of those sort of practical and logistical things that you, that you want to experience. But also I would say, like, how do you want to feel in Mm. 10 years time? Mm -hmm. How do you want to feel in your business? How do you want to feel when you wake up in the morning? How do you want to feel when you sit down at your desk to work? How do you want to feel when you get into bed at night? because we're never chasing the thing we're always chasing how we feel when we get it yeah so and so often that feeling is actually available to you right now yeah. it's like yeah. oh when i have a multi-million pound business i will feel free and you know happy and content or you know when i whatever and it's like well what's stopping you from embodying that feeling right now Mm. um so i've learned it through mentorship and some of those external sources but ultimately like sitting with myself right and journaling thinking all of those things feelings can't be quantified can they which is the wonderful thing like you can't say i want to be i'm happy but i want to be twice as happy (laughs) etc because i think with with money and like you can all i read an interesting statistic the other day and it was something like interviewing all these people many of which were millionaires almost all of them said that they would be happy when they had 2.5 times what they had now they didn't say 2.5 but they said actually yeah roughly double or you know i'd be happy when i had this x amount of net uh net income or net wealth or overall wealth Mm -hmm. isn't that crazy so even the people that Mm -hmm. had 20 million were saying well i'll be happy when i had when i have 45 or 50 million which is so sad and so crazy and it just shows that you can just always move those goal pal- those qu- like those quantifiable goalposts can always be moved. Whereas you can't really do that with emotion so much, can you? Yeah. And something else that just came up when you were saying that in my mind was this idea that I think a lot of people think when they're successful, they won't have any problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and so they never arrive at success because you're never going to be in a point in your life where you don't have to experience pain or grief or discomfort or you know problems in relationships you might have tools to deal with them better but it's uh i think that's why that lesson is a, is available for you to learn now and if you learn it now where you are right now you're actually going to 
be even more comfortable when, yeah, maybe in your success metrics, you have built a bigger business or are earning more money or have a bigger home or whatever. You're not going to have that constant dissatisfaction Mm -hmm. that happiness is coming sometime in the future and there'll be no no problems attached to it and i think this comes from doing inner work doesn't it it's, is yeah. this is this something that you uh teach on your programs so you, you obviously do you do a lot of strategy but do you do you take into consideration the inner work as well and what does that look like yeah it's such a good question holly over the last year i've gotten gone really into strategy with um the way i talk about my coaching but actually at the heart of it is always mindset mm. and inner work. Uh, Cause like I said before, you can have the best strategies in the world, but if you don't believe in yourself, if you don't mm. trust yourself, if you don't, yeah, feel comfortable that you have valuable things to say and share and give and uh, the ability to maybe transform your client's life, um, then strategies are, uh, futile mm-hmm. they, they, they will never work so it's certainly both it's both it's always both mm. um and it's a powerful combination when you have both so yeah I mean I'm not an expert in doing inner work but I've been on my own experience my own journey with it and there are some definitely some great practical tools that mm. help uh, and sometimes it's just as simple as just carving out space in your day or your week to sit and think and not consume, just have a moment to just think and be creative. That's a potent way to, yeah, mm-hmm. to find out why something's not working. So how do you find that space? Because you've got, yeah. you've got, a, we've got a baby now who, yeah. <laughs> and you've got, like, I guess well to do, is that separated into almost four businesses? Is it four or three separate strands? God. Plus your coaching yeah. and stuff. So there's so many strands to what you do. Busy lady. Yeah. And you've got a team, I'm sure, and you delegate wisely, but there's still a hell of a lot. So we're like, how would you find that space for you to just turn off, think about things? Clearly you do lots of plant care. You've got a plant behind you, a plant that is notoriously dramatic and, and hard to look dies, after. Dies but yeah, easily, yeah, like but ours. You've, you've, you've maintained that. So I guess that is one thing you do. <laughs> what else do you do? <laughs> Yeah, I've gotten really into lawn care since we bought a house with a garden. Oh, wow. I know. I've I've subscribed to this website called Lawnsmith. Highly recommend it if you're uh, interested in improving your your grass. You get like a quarterly, uh, sorry, a monthly update with like the things you need to be thinking about to care for your grass. Mm. (laughs) I like like that. So, you know, weekends I spend putting ferrous sulfate on uh, worm casts <laughs> and anyway uh, how do I find time um like one thing that I decided when I when I was pregnant with our little boy Lockie was I wasn't going to shy away from asking for help mm. um so for some reason I had this well I think it's because it's this modern day pressure particularly on women to be superwoman yeah. mm. um, and I'll speak because I am a woman as from that perspective that, you know, there's some kind of heroism in, you know, being able to run a successful business and be a mom and blah, 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 blah. Um, and actually I have, I have a village around me. So mm. right now while we're recording this, Lockie's with 
a nanny. So we have a nanny come Monday to Thursday, five hours a day so that Jamie and I can work because I didn't have the luxury of having maternity leave. And I don't necessarily say that as a negative thing. I really like the work that I do. So I wanted to be able to do that. I also wanted to be able to have time to myself, not because I don't love spending time with him and want to be with him every waking hour, but actually lots of people I know who do spend every waking hour with a baby are totally and feeling totally insane and completely exhausted. So when I am present with him, I'm super present and my best self. Um, And I don't think that we should do everything on our own. Like Mm -hmm. I don't think the expectation that I should be doing all those things is a good one uh, and shouldn't, shouldn't be celebrated. So how do I find time? I guess I prioritize it. How do you find time for anything? You prioritize it. Mm. Um, Most people who say they don't have time for something could, could make time if it was important Mm -hmm. enough. Yeah. You know, like, how many, it's like you have a conversation with someone and they say, I'm so busy. Um, oh, and then like 10 minutes later, they're asking you whether you've seen the latest series of <laughs> Selling Sunset. Love, Love Island or whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and that, I'm not saying that with any disrespect. It's just like, okay, well, yeah. that would that could be time that you could spend doing that thing that you said you didn't have time for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's, it's so hard. It's It can be hard for people to really arrange their time can't it and like work out calendars and people avoid yeah. it at all costs so do you have any particular strategies like do you actually schedule things in and say this is this is my time this is lawn care time two o'clock <laughs> to 2 15 okay. is lawn care time <laughs> yes i do if it's not scheduled it's not happening like i'm the i'm the kind of person who like if you guys said oh what are you up to on the weekend i'd have to like quickly consult my calendar yeah <laughs> Um, because yeah, like I am a busy person and I, I never like using that word in like a martyr kind Mm -hmm. of way. I'm so busy, but like, I do like doing a lot of things and I am juggling a lot of different things and that's the way I like it. But yeah, I mean, I have to be quite organized and like Jamie and I have a shared calendar and everything goes into it right down to, you know, who's looking after Lockie and who's working and who's, um, you know, his whole like nap schedule and feeding schedule is in our google calendar my google calendar looks like you know a a rave party it's pretty intense (laughs) but it works for us because then we know what's happening and do you do you encounter i'm sure you do lots of clients find it very hard to value their time uh and allocate their time well of course time is a finite resource and with every other finite resource we're very considerate but with time we're not and they actually spend their time with the best intentions in the wrong places. So for instance, maybe I have an example of this where you know, I know in theory I could make far more revenue staying at home pretty much and doing more online stuff. Yet I choose to go to London and go from class and travel for an hour and a half to the next class, roughly then to the next class, which is actually probably a bad use of time. Of course, there are other benefits to it. I love seeing people and I love connecting with students. But on that general topic, you said, how would you work with your clients to make the most of their time and allocate it wisely, even if they have the best intentions? Oh, well, that's such a hard question, Adam, because like if you were saying to me, how should I better use my time? But you, but I said to you, okay, well, if you wanted to make more revenue, you should be at home doing online stuff. And then you did that and you felt really isolated mm. and unhappy and you really missed being with people. It would it would 
have been a, a trade-off that wasn't worth making. So for any time spent on one thing, there's an opportunity cost, right? Mm. There's something else that didn't get to be done. Um, so if you came to me and you said, my priority is to make more money, then, okay, we'd build a plan around how to use your time to make more money in your business. But no one does that. No one says that to me. They're always wanting to achieve a certain goal in the context of also enjoying their life. So it's a little bit like if you've ever read the four hour work week by Tim yeah, Ferriss, which him. is, you know, a best-selling ahead book for of its, a reason. Ahead of its time, wasn't it? Yeah. But it's like craft the life that you want first and then reverse engineer everything else from there. Mm. So actually, do you need to be working a crazy 40, 50 hour week or, if you worked less, could you still do all the things that you wanted to, um, even if you were making less money? Whatever, it's a trade-off. Um, but I guess to answer your question, it's it's kind of that exercise of, have you ever heard that analogy of kind of you take a glass jar and you put the big rocks yeah. in first and then, you know, that's how I would encourage somebody to do it is actually start with a clean slate and put the big important things in first, decide what they are and put them in first, and then take your second list of priorities and put them in around and just be more organized. And I'll caveat by saying, I'm not actually a very organized person. I, I can organize myself, but I don't enjoy doing it. So I outsource that. Like mm. I have a virtual assistant who every Thursday at half past 12, we get on a 10 minute call, her and Jamie and I, and we organize our schedule for the next week. So she's like, okay, what are the things you need to get done? What are the things that are happening in your personal life that you want to prioritize? When are you exercising? When are you, Who's looking after Lockie? And we map it all out in the calendar. So we all feel good about what's happening next week. So there's an exercise there in just planning and mm. finding time to plan. Um, but also just prioritizing, asking like what's important and putting that in first. You said a minute ago that no one's ever said to you, yeah, I just want to make money. That's all I want. I just, it made me think, have you ever said no to a client? Like someone who says mm. to you, I want to make money. I don't care if it affects the environment or other people. <laughs> I just want to make money and get a big, massive house. And have you had to, have you had to say no to anyone? Like, we're not going to be a client. Yeah. Um, I have said no to clients and I don't think it's been as obvious as that, but you get a feeling sometimes mm. that it's not going to be a good fit. Um, but I think naturally, because I do work with clients who were in the wellness industry in some way, mm -hmm. the, it, it's like 99.9% .9 of the time, they're just really good people who have okay. such a big heart and big mission and everything is kind of come. It's actually generally the opposite. It's like, I, I want to do it for free. And I'm like, well, you need to charge more because <laughs> otherwise you're not, you know, you're not going to be able to have the impact that you want to. Mm. Um, so no, not necessarily specifically on that, that grounds, but um, the bigger problem is usually at the other end of the mm. spectrum. This I'm is... like, you don't have a, you, yeah, like you need to get comfortable with the idea of making money because yeah, yeah. that's important. Yeah, I think this is quite a big issue in the wellness industry. Everyone, or a, a while ago, I suppose, thinks that you shouldn't be paid well for what you do for some reason, as if money is you know, it's, it's not it's not a good thing or ethical to make a lot of money from helping someone. Um, yeah. I see that a lot in with a lot of people. So is that something you also teach on your, your programs? 
Yeah, um, I guess there are a couple of layers to it. One thing that I really like debunking is this idea that you've got to charge where you're worth because you can't put a price on your yeah. worth, right? Mm-hmm. That's inherently your the value of who you are as a human. So I hate that phrasing. I hate that phrasing of charge what you're worth. Mm. Instead, I encourage my clients to kind of think about the value that they're delivering as an expert, right? And what is the cost to your client of not doing the thing that you can help them to do, Mm. right? Like what is it costing you to be exhausted or what is it costing you to be anxious or what is it costing you to whatever it is, like have aches and pains in your body every day and not be able to do the things that you want to do. Um, And you start to put a value on the service that you offer based on the value that it provides. And it detaches a little bit from who you are as a person. Mm. And it also helps when someone says no, which happens, right? Like, and it can be painful when you're selling yourself. It can be painful when someone says, no, I don't want to buy that thing. Cause it's Mm. like, oh, that feels really personal. That feels like you've rejected me. And if you can help someone who offers that type of service that comes from the heart and, you know, a personal passion, if you can help them to detach a little bit from that personal element of it, and that actually it might just be that you're not the right person to help them or that it's not the right time for that person or that they haven't yet really understood the value of the transformation or you didn't quite articulate it clearly enough Mm. or yeah, whatever, the myriad of reasons why people don't make an investment certain points in time. So I guess, yeah, I guess there's that layer of it. And then I think too, just getting comfortable with selling. So nobody is born with the skill of selling. It's a learned art, just like you learn to teach yoga and you understand the philosophy behind it. It, as a business owner, you do kind of have to learn the art of selling, even it's as, if it's as simple as how do you set up a, a payment page on your website so that someone can pay for a class. It's mm-hmm. like we're also learning how to, you know, help somebody recognize the power that comes when you make an investment in yourself and that when you do make an investment in yourself, sometimes the higher the cost, the more committed you are. Mm-hmm. And that's just yeah. the energy of the exchange of money. It's like when you buy an expensive whatever, like you look after it, whether it's a pair of white trainers or a fancy car, if those things matter to you, you mm. take care of it. Um, so it's I do teach a lot about just the, the, the science of selling, but also the art of selling and feeling good about money and what money enables you to do and how it enables you to scale your business so you can actually impact more people. Cause there's a certain point where if you have a really sustainable business model underneath you and really good, strong revenue streams, you're actually then able to maybe delegate to a team, give someone the opportunity to work for a, an incredible company and do mm-hmm a job that they love. You're also able to maybe create more free resources because you've got the capacity to within your organization so that there's a sort of ascension model within your service that there's some free stuff that people can utilize or tap into. And there's also some paid stuff that if someone wants to make that investment and is ready to, they can. So yeah, I love all that stuff. And pricing is is so hard, isn't it? In, in so many ways, and I, you know, I think a lot. You know, I've seen a lot of people really undervalue 
kind of what they do, partly because, and I get this sometimes, you know, when bands approach me and ask me to quote for something, like I really want that money, especially over the last two years. I had no government support and all the band stuff was great revenue. It's like, I really want that work but I don't want to run to value. So it's that hard. Like, do I just put an amount? Do I try and pull it out of them first and say, what is your budget? It can be so, yeah. it can be super, super, super challenging. But then equally, there seems to be an insurgence of people, even in the wellness industry, that overcharge and have that confidence to say, you know what? I'm going to charge an obscene amount of money for what I do. But somehow people sign up for it, even though they might not have the most experience, et cetera, people do sign up for it because perhaps they're seeing the the perceived value of it because it is so expensive it's uh, well it's, and that's it there's just a diff there's just a varied perception of money hmm. and you know it, it's sort of like someone might say that having an expensive car is such a waste of money but if you're super passionate about cars then hmm. that makes sense to you hmm. um so you know it's a perception of the value of money and money at the end of the day is just like paper and coins and numbers it's the meaning that you attach to it like mm. anything yeah that uh, makes it yeah and this is kind of counter to what i would normally say about money but you, you thought about an expensive car there when you buy an expensive car like that maybe it's because you love cars maybe it's because you really admire the art but actually, you're funding so many jobs through the purchase of that car, the job of the designer, the job of the mm. people marketing it. You know, you're, you are giving money back. It's not like you are just taking from the world. And but we put some photos up about our wedding. So maybe this is not when the wedding happened, but our wedding looked dare I say so, like quite spectacular. Like it was an Italian wedding. We had amazing photographer, et cetera. <laughs> so middle of COVID, I just put, you know, it's our anniversary, we put some weddings up. And then this person really laid into us saying, you should be ashamed of yourself. You teach yoga and you spend all that money on the wedding. Wow. Yada, yada, yada. Delete. And, yeah, well, I deleted it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> bye. I don't know. This is not a forum for debate. It's just done. <laughs> so no no conversation there. But I thought, well, actually, in that, in that sense with, with money, you know, what we're doing there is we're, I was making an income for all the people where we were that were cooking for us, that were serving us. I was allowing the, the, the family, the small family that owned their kind of old rundown castle to survive. You know, you're, you're supporting a community and that's just how society works. So there is nothing shameful for either investing lots of money in yourself or a thing or a course. That's just, that's kind of what, makes a world go round in a sense there has to be oh. there has to be value exchange and through buying something big you, yes you might be giving a disproportionate amount to a big company and the ceos but you are also making a job for all of those other people as well yeah and it's not really your job or a good use of your energy to decide even if you do give it to a big company and it goes to the ceo like what he or she does with that money mm. like it's just so much attached to the idea of money mm. that I think really becomes quite a waste of energy and emotional resource for most people. Like financial stress is, is the biggest stress that people experience in their lives. Financial stress is like the number one stressor. Um, and I think most of the time it's unnecessary stress and worry. Mm. And you've said a lot that you have quite a kind of some sort of masculine energy in your approach, kind of emphasized by the two rocks as bookmarks behind you. Uh, <laughs> two boulders. <laughs> uh, not bookmarks. Love. What's it called? Not bookmarks. Um, bookends. 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 Uh, but yeah, looking at the people you've worked with, it's mainly women, actually. I think I clocked one 
one guy <laughs> on that long list. He kept kind of scrolling down. <laughs> and why do, you th- why do you think that is? Is it because there are less men in the wellness industry? Or is it men don't feel they need coaching sometimes? Or is it because your vibe generally attracts more females? What's your thoughts on that? No, I think it's probably all of what you just said. Like if I was <laughs> to answer that question, it would be maybe it's just a feeling of like-mindedness. You know, you just tend yeah. to attract people who are like you. Um, who are doing things like you, who resonate with you, especially when it comes to a coach, like it's quite an intimate, uh, close space where you're uh, inevitably going to feel quite vulnerable and you're asking for somebody to support. Uh, You also tend to choose a coach based on some aspect of them that you'd like to model or learn Mm. from. So there's an aspect of that. But it's funny because I've never said I work with women. Like oh, I've I work with female entrepreneurs. So occasionally I have worked with with uh, male clients and have really enjoyed it. But uh, I don't know, Adam. Mm-hmm. No, it's just, it's, Are you it's, looking for a coach? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was just interesting, kind of seeing, yeah, just seeing the list. And actually, yeah. it is interesting how people decide who their coach will be. Because uh, yeah. I've got kind of a coaching mentoring course, and most of the people that are applying are females. Uh, maybe it's you know the yoga industry yoga not industry but yoga practitioners and teachers tend to be more female so maybe that is a factor remember when I was going through lots years ago and my father passed away and stuff and I was choosing a psychotherapist and like my, my how I chose that like I chose like I didn't want to be I didn't want to be to be a woman because I spent my whole life kind of around women like <laughs> sisters and mom and if it was an older woman, I'd treat it more like my mother or something or sister. If it was a younger yeah. woman, it's more likely like I was single at the time. Maybe there was a thing <laughs> in my head. Then I was like, well, I don't want it to be like a lad because it might, I might be a bit like blokey, a bit manly and not open up. <laughs> so I chose actually, I was like, what, what I need is, is a gay male. That's who I need as a psychotherapist. <laughs> And it worked wonderfully. So Actually, a lot, a lot of my closest, expecting. a lot of my close friends are like our gay males, and I just, <laughs> and it's just interesting, isn't it? How you decide who you want to work with on that yeah. level. Like, how do you think most of the people that you have worked with decided on you? Oh, such a good question. I got distracted by the thought that I have the same criteria for a hairdresser. I think gay men are great hairdressers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> standard. Um, I think. Uh, Tony Robbins talks about this idea of modeling. And if you want to get somewhere faster than you'd get there on your own, model yourself on somebody who's already arrived, you know, who's already succeeded in that. So, yeah, I guess, um, I guess it's, it's the values that I communicate. It's the lifestyle that I share. It's funny because I haven't been super visible on social media myself until the last sort of six months and uh i have a sort of marketing team that are helping me and we have been having these conversations like finding that balance of being aspirational and for me also being humble in success because i think sometimes people are attracted to a coach because they are living the life that they want to live so by virtue of that, as a coach, perhaps you have to show more of that life. You have to show mm. the behind the scenes and mm-hmm. how it feels and what you have that maybe someone else doesn't have. But um, there's an uncomfortability around that for me that I am still navigating. Mm. Um, Shit, shitty nappies was what you demonstrated. Yeah. yeah, I think you need to rework yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, but that's the thing. I think you feel like you've got to throw in like some of the messiness as well yeah. to kind of remind yeah, people it's real. that- well, I might, whatever, like, 
drive this car or live in this house or whatever but also i have shit on my hands yeah <laughs> that's it's such that's such an interesting I'm a real person <laughs> the idea of obviously the when people look at social media and, and choose someone for aspiration and we always have to acknowledge of course as well that you know what we're seeing is you know the whole adage of it's a highlight reel etc we're not with mm-hmm. but also we have to you know, that tony robbins approach i love like modeling yourself on someone who's done it but at the same time there's lots that we don't know about that person that we might be modeling on we don't know if they've got a very wealthy partner or their yeah. parent has like connections to global companies that will sell their the product that they created so it's uh it's they're all they're all great things but it's always trying to like be played devil's advocate with yourself isn't it and work out well actually to both sides of the story yeah absolutely and i think that's where um this kind of idea that i've been thinking about recently is learn from mentors and teachers and books and podcasts and all those things and then learn the self-awareness that is needed to be really decisive about what you want to then implement Mm. or or take from what you've learned. So it's like this two-step approach, learn and digest and yeah, listen and, and, and absorb information, but also create uh, that inner strength or, you know, learn how to tap into your inner, your intuition and your Mm -hmm. inner sense of decisiveness to say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, but something doesn't feel right about that for me. Mm. Um, And maybe I need to take pieces from different, you know, resource pools Mm -hmm. to create a strategy for my life that is actually going to feel good for me and then implement it and see how that feels. And if it feels good, keep doing it, you know, start, that habit stacking process all of that (laughs) yeah and then and then you know maybe optimize and in in self-reflection improve and then go back to the start and and do that all again should we do some quick let's do some quick fires time always goes so quick doesn't it so quick one is 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 there any book that you've read in the last year that you would recommend (laughs) to help people with their with their business or their aspirations Okay, to help with their business. Um, I haven't, I didn't read it in the last year, but a book that I love is uh, a book guy, by a guy called Gay Hendricks called The Big Leap. The Big, Big Leap. Leap. Gay as G- G-A-Y-E? Yeah. Just G-A-Y. Just Gay Hendricks. What is one thing that you wish you'd known when you were starting your business? Um, that it's, more important to for it to feel good than it is for it to look good mm, love that where do most people go wrong in their lawn care <laughs> um the wrong approach for the wrong season mm. <laughs> like autumn fertilizer is different to summer fertilizer oh, yeah oh, i think you two yeah, yeah, need yeah. to stay on the call after this and just have a chat <laughs> And the outtakes about lawn yeah. care. And lastly, if any advice that you would give to someone who is just about to take that leap into starting their own business? Uh, it's it's going to be hard, but so worth it. Nothing valuable was ever created easily. Go on, you know, go on the journey, enjoy it, allow yourself to fail, and don't don't take it too seriously. 
Oh, I love that. And now the chance, I guess, to talk about what you have out there at the moment, what people should engage with. I guess there's a lot, there's a lot, but anything kind of immediately that you would refer people to or social medias, etc. Yeah. yeah, I mean, come and connect with me on Instagram. It's Lauren Arms, super simple. Um, perhaps if you're listening and you're somebody who has a business that is built on your expertise and knowledge and you want to share that and create something successful and sustainable and a legacy, uh, I run a 10-week program called The Expert Vantage, which, yeah, helps you to, I guess, um, understand the science of building a business uh, when you already know the art of your expertise. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably a nice place to start. Um, I just love c- to connect with, with with your listeners. I'm sure it's an incredible group of people, uh, and I just feel really privileged to have been part of the conversation. It's been lovely. So lovely to chat. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Honestly Unbalanced.